This is CliffCentral.com. Future CEOs on CliffCentral.com. Welcome back to Future CEOs. My name is Gareth Armstrong. It's good to be with you. The first half hour, we're speaking business rescue. What is it? How do we go? How do we get into it? Um, what's the benefits? And certainly, what are the outcomes? That's that was our first half hour here on Cliff Central. Now we move into our second half hour. We like to bring really, really, really good CEOs uh, and senior executives into studio, uh, and and quiz them, interrogate them a little bit about their lives and their journeys. We have done some interesting names. We've some, done some really. Good names. Um, uh, we're adding to that list. Uh, IQ Business is a is a brand that um, I'm sure we many of us, most of us, will be familiar. We have the CEO Adam, and then Craker in studio. It's good to have you here, Adam. Thank you for for being uh, being with us. Uh, I know you were just saying off air. It's not Cracker. It's Craker. That's the surname. That's right. Uh, Adam, thank you for being here. Um, future CEOs are listening and we're listening intently. Uh, you've done these kinds of conversations before. Um, I know you were saying that uh, a couple of weeks ago you were involved in a talk somewhere where I won't say because mm-hmm. it felt like a medical exam where they were, they were really pulling back the layers. Um, we Let's pull back some layers today. We won't quite go the medical route. Um, just tell us a little bit about your, your story and your background, please. Great. Well, firstly, Gareth, it's, it's wonderful to be here. And uh, as I said to your guest as uh, as he was leaving, uh, Byron, that uh, I hope I never meet him again. Yeah, um, business rescue uh, specialist. Exactly. Yeah. It was lovely to meet him. But, uh, um, you know, I guess in terms of my own uh, my own story, um, I'm a bit of an imposter in South Africa, um, perhaps from my accent. Uh, sure. Uh, your listeners will be able to tell that uh, I'm originally from the UK. Mm. I've been in South Africa for 20 years mm. uh, and came here with a view that I would spend two or three years in South Africa and fell in love uh, with the country. I had actually already fallen in love with my wife uh, uh, when we came here together. Okay. And, uh, and we decided to stay, and it's become uh, very much our home uh, and the home for our family, for our children, and uh, we very much uh, enjoy the uh, the opportunity and the environment. But my own story, originally then, I was born and bred in the UK, um, just on the outskirts of London, and went through um, the normal school and, uh, and uh, high school, uh, university education, mm. And um, left uh, left university straight into um, a world of uh, commerce and business in the consulting environment. Okay, uh, there's a bit of a story to tell um, that I I guess I shouldn't brush over, mm. uh, and that is that um, you know I'm one of I'm one of four children in my um, in my family, so four siblings together. Okay, and uh, unfortunately I lost my father when I was uh, only eight years old. Oh, he wow, was 35. Okay. So oh wow. Um, really uh, really unfortunate mm, I'm um, sorry to hear that and uh, thank you and my my mother passed away when I was 17 years oh, wow, old so okay. um, it was uh, not the most ideal start I think mm. in in life and uh, and uh, as a as a I guess in terms of timing getting uh, into higher education was was going to be a real real challenge mm. but I was the first in my in my family to go to university and to 
um, and to make a break into into tertiary education and have the advantage and opportunity that that gave me. And and thank you for not brushing over that story because I I, I know so many of our listeners are often coming from. Let's, we can refer to it as probably a, a disadvantage mm. in some form or fashion, but it, uh, your evidence sitting here that disadvantage does not mean you have to stay there. You can mm. certainly move uh, and and maneuver around these disadvantages. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for not much. brushing over. Yeah. Um, so you were able to to do that. I'm interested in in just quickly asking uh, during this educational period, mm. were there any indications that you had? this within you, whether it was some kind of business acumen, whether it was a finance acumen or perhaps some kind of entrepreneurial flair, was it evident there or, or did this uh, begin to develop later on? Well, I, I guess we, we, each of us draw an awful lot from our parents and from, uh, from grandparents mm. and both of my um, grandparents on either side had family businesses. Okay. And so there was almost an expectation that I might even, um, tread the path mm. into one of those, one of those businesses. I, I certainly didn't have a view at that stage that I had any business acumen or, uh, and indeed I wasn't particularly academic. Okay. Um, uh, and it was only when I got into university that I realized that, um, uh, I could excel academically and I was very lucky to get mm. into university. It was uh, on the basis shortly after my, my mother had passed away. Um, I was offered an opportunity to apply for a scholarship with okay. an organization in the UK called British Gas, which would be the equivalent in the UK of ESCOM mm. here. Oh, right. Interesting. And uh, interesting. It would be very interesting <laughs> if you're offered a scholarship. And um, I was uh, was very, very fortunate to be assigned to a mentor in this great parastatal organization. It employed mm. 90,000 people, so it was an enormous business. And this senior executive really became um, uh, my guide, my navigator, and really encouraged me uh, to um, to excel. And I spent a year uh, working for British Gas in okay. between school and going to going to university, which was really a very pivotal time and taught me so much mm. at that stage about what I should be learning at university and how it would be applied when I uh, eventually get into the work environment. Mm. And um, one thing led to another. But in fact, when I got to university, I, it was only then that I, I guess, as I would say, I learned how to learn. Okay, interesting. I need you. I need you to explain that, please. Well, in fact, I've I've learnt this with my with my own children now. We would classify the condition I think that I had with, as ADHD. Okay. And that I, I was an absolute fidget pot, and, mm. and in fact, sitting in the studio with you now, Gareth, is is uh, almost somewhat uncomfortable oh, uh, really? for me okay. because I I have this urge to move and. Uh, um, when I was uh, at university, I, I, I was told by one of my uh, tutors that I really was not going to be able to achieve very much in the mathematics environment mm. that uh, I was working in. And I was studying management and computer science, mm. and mathematics was a big part of the first year. A pivotal part. Very, very important, and carried about half the, the year's grades. Mm. And when I was challenged by the tutor who said, you know, you'll be lucky to pass it, I really set my mind to prove him wrong. Mm. 
and I it was then that I really uh, learned how to focus and how to apply my mind and how to pick up the techniques that I should have been learning mm. and I passed the course in my first year with a first uh, a first class uh, grade and went on at the end of my university education to again pass with a first class honours degree which really was no, fantastic. a fantastic outcome. Yeah, that is I mean that that is the top outcome, isn't mm. it? So I, I what I'm hearing coming from you uh, first I think we really need to understand who we are. The this idea of learning how we learn is uh, cannot actually be uh, stated strongly enough. Too many too many people those in business and out, those who are in school and growing and developing, those who are maybe even toward the end of their careers in many instances don't know how they actually learn, what, mm. what the the best way to learn is. And, and so that's a very – that's a point well taken. It's Thank so you. important, Gareth, that uh, you know, the, the education system is a bit of a sausage factory mm. um, in terms of trying to process as many young people through a system to get those youngsters through an education system and into a work environment. And uh, if if one is not um, particularly aligned to the way that uh, the education system works, then there's almost a rejection. And um, I've, I've certainly learned that um, uh, my approach to how I pick up knowledge and information and how I learn is in a very visual uh, way, mm. in a very movement-oriented way. Okay. And I've applied that. In fact, throughout my career, even to the present day, the the, uh, the I mean, the point of learning and learning, knowing how you learn goes into a professional environment. Mm. As a CEO now, you have had a number of other. Uh, Organizations that you've worked for, Dimension mm. Data being one of them. I mm. think there's Supergroup here, and then mm. then the IQ Business thing started, um, or the the journey started there. The uh, as you move into these different environments, you need to be able to pick up information as quickly mm. as possible, have a situational contextual understanding as quickly as possible. Uh, it served you well there as well, and very much. I think that's the point here as well. It is, Gareth, and uh, I mean to give you the big picture, or, or to to I guess connect um, the dots into terms of the experience. Um, when I graduated from university, the agreement I had in my scholarship program was that I would work for at least a year with British Gas. Um, I started that year and, and was blown away by my mentor who pulled me into his office and said, right, Adam, um, it's time for you to leave. Time and, for you to leave. And I said, you, um, that was not the thing I was expecting you to say. And he sure? said, no, I... I think it's time that you, you've outgrown this environment and you need to embark on another path. And I'm giving you the benefit of my own experience. And I don't think this parastatal is right for you. So mm. out you go. And, uh. So you were fired. I was pretty much fired. <laughs> uh, well, was, he kicked me out of his office. Sure. Go and find something else. He said. Interesting. And I, uh, was offered an opportunity with an organization called Anderson Consulting, which is today Accenture. Yeah, massive group. And, uh, I, I walked in the door and walked into an environment of extreme training, a, a, a fantastic internship, a fantastic program that exposed me, took me over overseas to Chicago to go mm. and be trained for the first time. And a career started, which in the first segment started so, or lasted for six years. Um, and I had tremendous experience and exposure to so many different businesses um, in the form of projects or clients that I was working in. And so many different leaders and managers that I worked with 
that really boosted my own experience by by having the privilege of uh, of that exposure. Um, and then I left um, Anderson Consulting and I decided I wanted to do some more studies. Okay. So I went over to Switzerland. I was very lucky to get into one of the top business schools in uh, in Europe in, uh, uh, called IMD in Lausanne in mm. Switzerland. Mm. Uh, most phenomenal uh, program with uh, just over 80 people in the program, so quite small, mm. but with around 40 nationalities, four zero nationalities mm. represented wow. in the program. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, one of them was South African, and uh, we became great mates, and uh, we came to South Africa to embark on a social enterprise that we were going to um, initiate as part of the MBA program that mm. was part of the course. And in 1996, I came, I saw, um, we were two years after the first democratic elections. There was uh, a degree of uncertainty, but a great deal of euphoria and, uh, and, and promise. And opportunity, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, when that's it, Gareth. I mean, the opportunities I saw here as a 28, 29-year-old uh, were phenomenal. Mm. And uh, at the time, there was a significant brain drain of people leaving the country. Mm. And I met people who were saying to me, you know, hang on a minute, you you have a British passport and you are choosing to come to South Africa. Yeah, this is the wrong direction. Are you nuts? That's yeah. it, exactly. Yeah. And uh, um, so we came and I actually joined, um, I rejoined Anderson Consulting. Mm. I actually had uh, an offer at the time with a South African company, of course, Dimension Data. They'd offered me a position. But I decided to come down as an expat and I spent two or three years down here at the end of that program, um, Anderson said to me, it's time to go somewhere else. And they sent me to the Czech Republic. Interesting. And I was traveling from Johannesburg to the Czech Republic. And my wife and I said, well, look, uh, actually, we've got unfinished business here. So mm. we stayed and I joined Dimension Data. Where you became then the group executive for sales. That's right. I did, which uh, has a, a story to tell because... Um, uh, it took about three years before I actually became the group, exe group executive for sales uh, on a global basis. Mm. Um, and um, the uh, you know those that can remember the history in the early 2000s, Dimension Data had been a had been an absolute um, flying star on mm. the uh, on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. And when the internet bubble burst, it crashed and burned mm -hmm. terribly. And in mm -hmm. fact, we had the biggest corporate write-offs in South African history. We had massive shareholder value destruction. Uh, we had lots of trouble. And um, I was offered the job as a group executive for sales globally. I was in my early 30s. Mm. And it took about two weeks to realize why I had been offered the job. Uh, and that was because nobody else wanted the job. <laughs> <laughs> it was dire. Um, yeah. And we had a $2 billion turnover business that mm. was really struggling at that point. Um, but I was part of a turnaround team. And um, over a period of six years, we um, collectively really steered the business through to a very successful platform. Uh, what's so fantastic about that is that there's two sides to this. Uh, first, the the question is what do CEOs actually do? Mm. I've asked that to many CEOs, mm. and there's a very very strong sales component. Yes. Um, and when I say sales, I don't just mean you know ordinary door to door kind mm. of sales. It's this idea of communicating with multiple stakeholders and very in, much. So sales is a strong strong. If there's a sales skill or sales ability, 
uh, I'm convinced that people can be CEOs as a result mm. of that. But then on the other hand, you also had a, I mean, speaking of business rescue in the first half hour, a business rescue element mm. or experience where you were able to look into the intricacies of a business that was in real trouble mm. um, and sort through it all, find mm. out what was going to work implement, execute, mm. and, and then do, do a bit of a turnaround. Fantastic. Ab- absolutely. I mean, Gareth, I mean, on your first point, that sales capability is about relationships. Exactly. It's about being able to lead relationships and and do that on a basis of trust. Mm. Um, and as part of the turnaround at Didata, I was traveling during those six years, I was traveling up to 200 days a year wow. to 48 countries around the world, yeah, wow. constantly in the process of, um, connecting the relationships with our customers and clients around the world, with our stakeholders and suppliers, with our teams in different continents and countries. Um, and at the end of those six years, I actually had a very important choice to make, mm-hmm. which was um, from a family perspective, I, I couldn't continue to be absent for 200, 200 days, days a year, yeah. um, although I have to say I really enjoyed the exposure and the experience that I, that I had and what I learned doing that. And I made a choice to to exit uh, Dimension J Data and join Supergroup, the mm-hmm. South African-based and uh, listed uh, industrial conglomerate. And part of the attraction was that Supergroup was uh, heading down a similar path, I thought, to okay. the Die Data scenario. Mm. The turnaround was needed. I joined as uh, the group chief operating officer of uh, Supergroup. They'd never before had a COO. Oh, really? Okay. And the idea was that uh, if I was successful as the chief operating officer, there may be an opportunity to take over as the chief, chief executive. executive. Okay. Um, but uh, within a very short amount of time in arriving in Supergroup, the turnaround scenario indeed became a rescue, became a rescue okay. situation. Uh, we had 12,000 employees. We had a very large business, as I said, listed in Johannesburg. Uh, it was a heavily geared or, or leveraged business, so there was a lot of debt uh, in the business. Mm. Um, and it was uh, at that moment in 2008, 2009, that the global financial crisis hit mm. and the cost of debt uh, spiraled out of control and, and then, uh, of course, pressure, yeah. big pressure. Big pressure. And then what tends to surface as a result, they say, you know, when the tide goes out, you see who's uh, swimming without uh, mm. um, swimming costumes on. Yeah, um, yeah. And the uh, the scenario turned to a situation where we started to discover a number of uh, uh, frauds within the business and uh, challenges that led to us having to uh, restate our accounts. And very, very quickly, it became a very dramatic uh, situation that uh, needed to be uh, uh, turned around and rescued. Um, so I was part of that team, um, and we completed the uh, the initial recapitalization and structuring of that uh, of that turnaround. You you started on the idea of relationships, the ability mm. to relate. Uh, I think there's a, a strong empathetic thing there. Uh, you spoke about trust. Mm. Uh, how do, under circumstances like that, how do you get your team to trust you? Uh, at least you can lean on a little bit of experience, so you can't just say, "Guys, I've been here before. Trust me." Mm. But Beyond that, how do you get people to really trust in a process that can be very, very difficult? Well, I, I, I don't know if you if you realize, Gareth, but the core value at Supergroup during that time was trust. Okay. And, uh, Interesting. Super, and Supergroup had this whole structure and value system within the organization. Uh, what I found within a few months was uh, that value was not uh, being reflected in the behavior uh, in the organization. And indeed, there was... 
a great deal of mistrust and uh, the amount of uh, challenge from the um, business issues that we started to surface was uh, uh, was uh, was a real difficulty to to overcome um, and that led me to believe that uh, at the time that I felt that I was in the wrong organization mm. that there was a misalignment in terms of in terms of values, values yeah. um, and as I mentioned I worked with the um, as part of the turnaround and rescue team and we made a number of decisions to restructure the business and really stamp a new value system, which Peter Mountford, the CEO of uh, Supergroup, has carried forward in a really superb way. And it's taken six or seven years to really get that turnaround complete and to reestablish the trust in the in the marketplace that the team have really carried forward. And that's a difficult thing to reestablish trust. Um, mm. there's, a, there's a consistency that is required there that uh, you, know, you take put one step out of line, one toe over a line that it should, where it shouldn't be and that can all crumble. It takes years and years to build up that trust. It takes 24 hours to shatter it completely and then you're back into that year and year cycle of of rebuilding and reestablishing the brand and the trust. Yeah. So that was then COO Supergroup. Mm. Then we move over to IQ Business. Now we are running out of time, so mm. I, I, I've got a number of questions that I'd like to ask. We'll ask a bit of like a quick fire kind of sure. scenario. But just very quickly, your experience with I, uh, IQ Business? Mm. I mean, it was a very exciting change. A privately owned company. Mm. Uh, at the time, we had uh, 275 um, IQers, as we call ourselves, mm-hmm. or staff in the organization. Um, the organization uh, has uh, really got a very strong focus and a growth purpose and a growth philosophy around helping our clients to grow mm. uh, and to grow people, to grow business and to grow Africa. And, and you really do get into every part of the business, don't you? I was, yeah. lo- I was just looking at the services that you offer and it's, I mean, it's really multidimensional. Mm. Uh, there's mm. no, no, no stone unturned, it, mm. it seems like. Well, we've, we've become, as a result of our, our purpose and our vision and focus and the work we do with our clients, we've become the leading independent management consulting firm in South Africa. Mm. We now have 650 IQers in Johannesburg and Cape Town. We work all over sub-Saharan Africa. Fantastic. Um, there's a real culture and a spirit and a, a huge difference um, in terms of value system that I've experienced in, uh, in IQ business. We're 19 years old, so I didn't start it. Mm. But I was a hired gun into the organization, and I've since led a management buy-in to – uh, to restructure the equity mm. uh, within uh, within IQ Business to ensure that the people that work in the organisation, the top team, are all owner managers, and that changes the philosophy of the business and has been core to our to our success over mm. over time. Well, very nice, and I mean, clearly you are someone that uh, is worthwhile following. Let's also learn a little bit more from you. Uh, some quick fire questions. Mm. Uh, we ask lots of CEOs these questions, so let's see how you stack up. <laughs> <laughs> the other answers, no pressure. Uh, what are your three pillars of CEO leadership? So you've done some remarkable things in your career. Mm. Uh, what are your three pillars of leadership, but more specifically CEO leadership? Um, I, you know, I think from a, a CEO perspective, um, I think one has to take accountability for uh, what goes on in the organisation. Mm. So the most important thing is to is to lead and be accountable for what happens in the in the organisation. Is, is there a transparency element there? So how do you be how do you take accountability, but make sure everyone else knows you're taking accountability? How do you do that? Because yeah. I mean, the, the, 
one, there's one thing to, it's one thing to take accountability. It's another thing to make sure that people are aware so that you are actually leading. Surely. And uh, there's a big difference between accountability and responsibility mm. that, uh, I look to my team and to uh, our IQers to take responsibility for their own actions, for what they do, for the value they create uh, for uh, for our clients. Uh, but ultimately, they they understand that uh, uh, I'm the, um, the the accountable individual within the within the organisation. Mm. Um, it mustn't disempower. Um, it must have the, yeah. the reverse effect of yeah. empowering. Our IQ is to really uh, to really move things uh, forward and make sure that the business operates, um, which leads to the second um, uh, pillar, which is uh, is really around setting the direction, um, the vision, the strategy. But it's not something that I define. I go into an ivory tower and, mm. and uh, like Moses, put it onto tablets and then come down and say, "There you sure, go." Sure. It's a very iterative, um, engaging process with the team at all levels in the organisation. Yeah. Uh, very consultative in the approach, and uh, that's part of the um, the adoption. Um, there's no point in having a great strategy or a vision if uh, the organisation is not willing to follow it and behind it. So, yeah, exactly. So we make sure that that's uh, that's really in place. Yeah, and, and co-creation, uh, the the consultative approach, which is a co-creative approach, is the way to get buy-in. Mm, so much. I mean, it's so so very important. And uh, uh, and then the the third pillar is uh, is really around trust and uh, and having fun uh, with uh, uh, with the team because you know we work very very hard. Mm. We uh, um, we have achieved great things, and we anticipate we're going to continue to achieve great things. And we mustn't take ourselves too seriously mm. um, in that regard. We must know when to. You know, have fun and celebrate and recognize achievements, and uh, uh, that's really my third third pillar. I, I like the fact that you put trust and fun in the mm. same place. I, I believe that it's probably easiest to have the most fun with people you trust the most, mm. and I, I, so I like that combination. Mm. Okay, two more two more very sure. quick questions before we have to part ways. So the the first one: What's the worst advice you've ever received? Worst advice. <laughs> um. Well, probably, probably, um, one of the career decisions that I made, and I probably shouldn't say which one it yeah, was. We, 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 fine. <laughs> but, uh, in a, I, I had two pieces of advice. One which was very strongly indicating I should move in a particular direction, and another that, um, uh, told me I shouldn't. And they couldn't tell me why I shouldn't. The, the first person could tell me why I should. Mm. I should have listened to the person that uh, said, said don't, don't do it. And, Interesting, uh, uh, because that was a pivotal moment in my in my career. So I guess it's uh, it's always important to take uh, opposing views, and and uh, then you've got to live with your own decision mm. at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good way to go about it. Then finally, in a sentence, in a sentence, this is our our, our parting uh, remark and question. If you could go back and you could talk to the 20 year old future CEO you in one sentence, what mm-hmm. would you say to the future CEO you, 20 year old young, young you? I, I, I would say be patient with the, uh, with the journey. Don't try and rush, uh, to, uh, to that, uh, pivotal point or to becoming a CEO or a leader. Enjoy the journey. Learn as much as you can, uh, along that journey. Mm. And you'll know when the time is right and it won't feel Right, there'll still be butterflies, mm. uh, but uh, you know when you're ready to to take over the reins and uh, and lead.
Well, Adam, thank you so very much. That's the voice of Adam Craker, the Chief Executive Officer of IQ Business. Uh, and, and, and we've, I wish we had you here for more time, but thank you so very much for this half hour that you have spent with us here on Future CEOs. Great pleasure, Kenneth. All right, that's the show for today. We have to wrap up now because we're running out of, running over time because we've got such great conversations that are happening here in studio. We'll see you same time, same place next week. See you then. Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com. This is cliffcentral.com.